0: This is episode 683. Coming up tomorrow morning, I talk to Nico, who breaks down how to raise your first round of funding with his healthcare API and Redox founder. Again, his name is Nico. Good morning, everybody. My guest this morning is Felix Vandermel. He is the CEO and one of the founders of a company called Calibra, which he took from idea to founding to more than eight years of record growth and industry leadership. We'll talk about it is responsible for the company's global business strategy. Now, prior to co-founding Calibra, Felix served as a researcher at the Semantics Technology and Applications Research Laboratory uh, at a university over in Brussels where he focused on ontology-focused crawlers for the semantic web and semantic data integration. He holds a master's in computer science and software engineering from that university and a master in general management from the Vlerick Business School. Felix, are you ready to take us to the top?
1: Yes, I am. Thanks did for I having get,
0: me. Did I get all those words correct? <laughs> you got them right. I did my best. I did they my sound best. Sounds complex. <laughs> Good. So tell us what we want to dig more into your story, but tell us what Calibra does and what's the business model? How does it make money?
1: Sure, sure. So basically, we're a software company, SaaS company, and we help typically larger organizations to better find, understand, and control their data
0: ultimately. Um, yep. And tell, tell us a story about one of the customers that use you so we get a real sure. life example.
1: Yeah, sure. So we, we really got started in financial services. So every bank today needs data governance, which is uh, what we do, uh, what, what, how it how is called, uh, which basically uh, the reason that they need that is for regulatory compliance. So every bank needs to be able to show to the regulators that they understand uh, what data they have, how it flows through the organization. So ultimately, if they report to the regulators, they have full confidence uh, that the numbers are correct. Uh, that's really where we started right now, it's, it's really across lots of different industries, um, driven by big data, analytics, uh, IoT, uh, AI, uh, and so forth. And what year did you launch the company in?
0: We launched it in 2008. Okay, 2008. And bootstrapped, or have you raised capital?
1: Uh, we raised capital. Um, so we actually started out of school. This my first company, the first thing I ever did. Um, and we raised a seed round of about 800,000 euros. Uh, which at the time was a pretty big deal, especially in Belgium, which didn't really know doesn't really know venture capital uh, as we have, as we know it here in, in the US. Um, but then we started to bootstrap it until profitability, uh, and we were profitable, uh, tripling every year. And that's uh, when we, re- we we raised our first bigger round, our Series B round of about 20 million, uh, and then we were in kind of full uh, growth mode.
0: What year was the Series B? Series B was 2014. Okay, so all in, you have raised about twenty million four hundred thousand, something like that.
1: Uh, in December, just last December, we did a fifty million dollar round, uh, Series Two round. So One, all in, we did about seven, seven, um, seventy-five million.
0: Got it. So seventy-five million in total. And you said this is your first company out of college. How old are you today? I am thirty-two. Thirty-two. Awesome. This is so you've been focused on this uh, for about a decade, right?
1: Yes, it takes a while sometimes. It does.
0: Hey, <laughs> the focus is an important thing. So the, so the risk in this chat we have is that I lose the audience because they don't understand uh, kind of the data side of what I described. Because you, you are very, I mean, you're an engineer, right? So semantic web, things like this, people may not understand. Is there a way right. you can dumb this down so that, and I'm not calling my audience dumb, but even for me, right? Can you dumb this down for me?
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I I I'll, I'll love to use an, an, a bit of an older analogy. Uh, let's say you have a library. and library, you have books. And you have these index cards and these index cards tell you where to find the book who the author is, who's last uh, rented it uh, it's very similar to organizations with data right so have, you have lots of databases that store the data these are the books of a library what we do we are the index cards we help uh, people users find um, where the data is uh, what it means, how they can use it uh, what the quality is these types these types of things and and ultimately what we want to get is to get to is that, we call it the Amazonification of data, where ultimately users just shop for data like they are on Amazon. They they, they put it in their data basket, so to speak, and then it goes to approval work, workflows to actually get access to it. And so they can run the analytics.
0: Interesting. So, it's I mean, is this almost like a search engine for data sets?
1: It's, it's in a way, yes. It helps them find the data. So that's in a way the, the search engine part. Yep. Uh, but then you need to understand it. There's quality. There's, there's really the, the governance right? because now it's chaos. Everybody wants to do data, and everybody does data, and it's a lot of chaos. And we help um, companies control it more so people can actually find it and get value out of it.
0: And where are you today in terms of customers? How many customers do you have paying you?
1: Right. So we have uh, close to 200 customers.
0: Um, and I, may, I imagine if you raise $75 bucks, and you have 200 customers, this is very much an enterprise play with really high kind of ARPUs. What's your ARPU at on average?
1: Yes, it, it varies, but right now it's about 200 to 250K.
0: Annually or monthly and annually got it. Uh, yeah, monthly would be a uh, would be a nice business, huh? That would be nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it. So if I if I divide that out by 12, you have the average customer paying you somewhere around 20 grand uh, per month. Now are these contracts? Do you pull them all forward? Are they all annual plans or are the cash is up front? Uh annual plans with cash front? Yes. Okay, Sometimes so no month, it's
1: year. So no monthly. No monthly. Uh, okay. Yeah, yep. never
0: month. Got it. So I'm uh, Felix, I just want to get a, a broad sense of revenue if I take 200 customers times the m- number you just gave me that puts you at somewhere around 4.1 million bucks in MRR or somewhere around call it 10 million in ARR is that about right or
1: sorry sorry no. not 10
0: not 10 sorry f- f- 50 50 million in ARR um,
1: a, a bit less we started actually with a perpetual model and so some of these customers are still on perpetual model what what How is, that is that? What's, what's that
0: model look like for, so for people just, listening right now that might be starting they might want to use that model
1: yeah, so it's a, it's a license fee. Basically, the customer pays you one big uh, license fee up front, and then they own a software, and then they pay a maintenance fee yearly, which is typically 20% of the initial fee. I see. And the difference between the typical SaaS model is that they pay the same amount every year. I see. Got so it. the recurring part is, is less. Than so if, the if, if,
0: we, if we throw up a range, then, could we say somewhere between 30 and 50 million bucks in ARR? Yeah. yeah that, that covers it. 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 Yeah. Got it. Okay, good. Let's go back into the story. So... so you graduate from school, you, you you were an engineer, right? You got your engineering degree? Yes, correct. How'd you get this idea?
1: Um, it's uh, I was doing research on semantic technology at the time, and I was doing another master in software engineering, uh, and I was in Argentina studying. Now I was thinking a long time, okay, what do I want to do next? I basically had four options in my mind. I could continue to do a PhD, I could go into banking, could go into consulting, um, or I could actually start my own thing. And the last thing was the only thing that really uh sounded exciting to me, and I finally I started reading these books in Silicon Valley, and I think in, uh, from Silicon Valley, these uh, biographies. Like, name one think, or two. Yeah, I think they had a great book at the time, it's called Founders at Work. Um, it's a fantastic book, it's a bit old now, but it talks about the founders of Twitter and so and so on before uh, that existed. And in all my, I think, naivety, I thought, well, when they can do it, I can at least try, right? Why Why shouldn't I? And kind of, that's how we got started. And you were at this
0: point, what, 22, 23? Yeah, 22 years old. 23, and you said we, tell me about the founding team.
1: So we started uh, four founders. Oh wow. Um, yeah, four founders. Uh, the three others were doing uh, their PhD at the lab. And then uh, while we got started, I did like a mini, a mini MBA, so the, the general management. During that time, we kind of wrote the first business plan. And then uh, as I graduated, we raised 800,000 euros, uh, seed round and uh, started the company.
0: That's a lot of founders to start the company with. How did you have the tough conversation around equity, or did you just split twenty five each? We just split twenty five each. No, that's a lazy way to do it. You just split it. You said, "Boom! I don't want to debate about this. Let's just be fair. We're all going to do the exact same amount of work. Everyone gets twenty five percent." Yes. Okay, so let me ask you this, because this this happens and no one ever talks about it. Let's say there's four of you guys. There's a major company decision, and you're split down the middle. Two of you want to do one thing. Two of you want to do the other. How do you break the split?
1: Yeah, so I think it's – it's. Um, so I'm CEO, and then I think what we've tried to from from the beginning, and it's not always easy, of course, is to split uh, shareholders from management. And of course, in the beginning, like, your shareholders are your management and is the whole company. But as you grow, that changes over time. And so we try to separate the two as much as possible. So any kind of shareholder-related is just shareholders, which now includes the venture capitalists and so forth. Mm-hmm. Anything that's company decision management-related is just management. And there's – as a shareholder, as a founder, I don't have any additional rights as a manager. I only have more obligations, if you will, because I'm a founder.
0: That's a great way to put it, I think. And give us a sense. You said you you just did your Series B? C. Series, series C. Yeah. So what, uh, I assume the four founders still have most of it, you probably have a very small equity pool, and what, investors own 25%, 30%, something like that?
1: Yeah, that's not really public, but it's it's in a typical range.
0: Got it. What When people are doing a Series C, I'm, I'm interested in this data because you just did it don't say your specific situation, but on average, what percentage of, of of your company are you giving up when you're doing a series C?
1: I think that's, that's so hard to say it depends uh, where you are in your trajectory, how much you need it, how much you're raising. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, market averages, honestly,
0: what was most important for you when you were negotiating this this last round?
1: Um, I think actually the Series B was a big round for us because we were profitable at the time, didn't have to do anything. And, and so for us, we were really at a crossroads with the founders and it's kind of shareholders' decision, okay, what do we want to do? Um, and we really believe that we can build a category-defining company. We were the first in our market. It's a huge opportunity. It doesn't really, you don't have that, that chance that often. And so that's when we said, let's go for it. And mm-hmm. so the Series B, I think that was uh, kind of a, a big decision for us. And now we've been on the trajectory to get to $100 million in recurring revenue as quickly as possible. And kind of the CBC lies in that path.
0: How did you decide? I imagine you had interest from multiple parties. How did you decide kind of which investors to pick? Was it just strictly who gave you the best valuation or was there a strategic approach? How would you think about it?
1: Uh, it's it's a combination. Obviously, evaluation matters. Uh, but it's it's more than that. What I really want was people that understand their business and have done it before. Um, and obviously, it's, it's a very it's a big relationship you, you, you need to build uh, so you need to trust each other. And so how much do you trust the people you bring on board as a, as a critical, I think is is ultimately the most important.
0: And you ultimately went, I believe, uh, based on my research with, with, with Matthew, right at Iconic. Yes. correct. So why did you like him? Well, what, what, like how did he win?
1: I mean, we, we built a relationship from the beginning. Um, I, um, he had great references. Um, uh, that's how we got introduced and, um, and very founder friendly, but also, um long-term investor um and so it just clicked really well
0: shifting back to the business for a second at arpus this high right with 200 customers i imagine you have a lot of kind of inbound sales because you can afford it because the contract value is so high and account managers and things how are you managing churn what's gross customer churn per month
1: yeah uh so yearly customer churn is really low it's about uh three to four percent that's that's amazing uh, that's really, really low. Uh, so, uh, I mean, big. Uh, it's a basically land and expand model, even with these kind of big land deals. Uh, but they're, they're the biggest companies in the world. Um, so that's really, really important for us to keep that trend low, and then uh, expand over time in in those accounts where we sell more seats. Basically, that's the that's the business model.
0: So gross gross retention, call it ninety seven percent annually. When you talk about net uh, uh, revenue, net 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 revenue expansion, I mean, you're yeah. looking at one hundred ten percent year over year growth, one hundred twenty percent. Yeah, 120, 125. Got it. So you're expanding these accounts and growing them 20 to 30% every year. Correct. Right. Amazing. What are you, it's, you've raised a lot of capital. I imagine these pitch decks, you're having to kind of show how you can spend the money to get more customers. So you probably have a good idea on CAC. What are you spending to acquire these customers?
1: It's an, um, I mean, it's an enterpri- enterprise sales place. So um, like like you said, field, field account reps that are pretty expensive and you need a, a big kind of support team with pre-sales and account management and so forth also a uh, long sales cycle so that's why you really got to invest up front to get to, to close these deals um, and that's really where the where the where most of the money uh, gets in but um with the very low churn i mean the the the, the gag uh, ltv ratio is really really high what, what is hard, really high it's like it's almost indefinite that you, it's hard to calculate right now because we almost have no churn and there's no limits we've had customers who've been with us for eight years Yep. Continue to upsell so it's it's
0: um this it's, is one of those really felix interesting areas in the SaaS world because you'll have a lot of over optimistic brand new founders who will go on an excel sheet and say we have one percent churn they'll extrapolate that out and say the customer's gonna stay with us for a hundred months or something crazy and unrealistic yeah. they multiply times their arpu and they get a totally unrealistic lifetime value number then they right. spend the cac based off the ltv and they go bankrupt a guy like yeah. you you're in the opposite position Right. You've already kind of proven it out. You you lifetime value could be millions of dollars. You have no idea. So how do you decide how to set the threshold on what you'll spend to acquire a customer?
1: Yeah, I think what, what we really look at is um is sales efficiency, sales and marketing efficiency. So how much sales and marketing dollars are we spending to generate one dollar of AR? What is that number? Um, it's around benchmark, um, benchmark data around 0.8, 0.9. Okay. Teach
0: us that. Well, I haven't had anyone bring that up before. And I've had many founders that have raised, you know, amount, amounts like what you've raised. How's that work? So, so 0.8%, what's that ratio?
1: So it basically means that it's close to one. one so it means that uh, it costs us $1 in sales and marketing expense to generate $1 in ARR. Oh, I see. So, so it's basically, I think a 12 months, uh, like payback, payback,
0: which is super healthy. And then these customers are staying with you for multiple years. So it's all upside yes. after that. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Team size? Where are you guys at?
1: About uh, two hundred and
0: ten right now. Two hundred and ten people. Wow, amazing. Yeah, and where yeah. are you guys based? Uh, so, uh,
1: biggest team is in New York. Uh, then we have engineering in Brussels and Poland. Okay. And um, sales and marketing for uh, Europe is out of London. And what is the? Uh, y-
0: you mentioned you've got folks in Brussels and engineering. Was that intentional? Do you have cost savings there on
1: salaries? Uh, that's where we started. So, so legally, it's still a Belgian. Belgian company, mm-hmm. uh, that's where we got started, but then most of our customers actually were in the US, so that's where we moved to the US, the founding team to New York, okay. followed our customers. So that's why we kind of built out uh, the HQ in, in New York. Um, then engineering HQs in Brussels where we got started. And in Poland is really because we couldn't find enough engineering talent quickly enough.
0: So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan, you can sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45 day money back guarantee. Okay. Again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. Awesome. Well, Felix, this has been amazing. A lot of good insight here. Let's wrap up with the famous five. You ready? Okay. All right. Number one, what's your favorite business
1: book? Um, I think it's an Aldi, but uh, uh, crossing the chasm is, is good.
0: Jeffrey Moore, it's a good one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying?
1: Um, I really like teen uh, two from Zora. Yep. Number three,
0: is there a favorite online tool you have, like Acuity Scheduling? Uh, I still use Evernote a lot. Okay, that's a good one. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night?
1: I'm uh, between six and eight trying to get as much as possible
0: not bad and you're 32 what's your situation married single recently married
1: and um, my first child on the
0: way oh very exciting so so one kiddo on the way uh 32 you're married last question felix take us back 12 years what do you wish your 20 year old self knew
1: i think i was good it's it's sometimes it's good to not know too much otherwise you don't take any risk so I, i wouldn't change much
0: There you guys have it. It's good to not know so much sometimes, because then you won't take as much risk. From Felix, who risked it all, he graduates. He gets up with three of his PhD buddies, launches Calibra. They've now crossed. uh, They've raised about again 75 million bucks. Have 200 customers, uh, you know, paying somewhere around 16 grand per month. They're only doing annual or multi annual uh, or multi year uh, deals. Pulling the cash forward again, bridge that cash gap again. They're really, as he described it, the index cards in books, kind of in this bookstore to help you not only find data you need, but then run analytics on it and get value from it. Their team is 210 folks uh, based in many locations, Brussels and New York City being two of the major ones, founded in 2008. Felix, maybe you're IPOing in the next two, three years, right? Thanks so much for taking us to the top. (laughs) Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed Felix today, go back and listen to Vinod yesterday, who breaks down why tech companies are opening Salt Lake City offices. His company just did it called Cloud Cherry. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners. But boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like are giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, well, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google right when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.